You know, we almost had an exciting John Acapinti update, but it vanished as soon as it appeared, where he did a song about Ashley Babbitt, who died in, on the you know January 6th riot, and it was removed within like a few hours. I didn't have a chance to see what was in there, you know? What did he rhyme Babbitt with, I wonder? Yeah. I want to That's reach out and grab him, it. You know? like yeah. The, the cop service <laughs> weapon, I want to reach out and grab it. Yeah, it was like an interpolation of uh, Abracadabra. Yeah. Abracadabra, the song made famous by Sugar Ray. I guess it's it's gone like tears in the rain. Yeah. It's such a shame because like everything else Acapinti's been doing lately, he's kind of back in another slow period, you know? And his latest stuff is just back to his original thing of just like being a Christian, like a song about the lion or whatever, you know? Whatever they're giving Joe Biden, they need to give John Acapinti. Like it's not oh, fair yeah. that only the richest old guys get the serum. They should be injecting him with those syringes. Get him to write like 50 songs. We need to like put him in a chateau and give him all those, the chemicals and have him record his own exile on Main Street. Yeah. Like I think instead of rich guys getting all the benefits, I think it's the most prolific old guys who should, you know, reap the benefits of of medical science, you know, medical marvels. We need more songs out of him. Because basically, I mean, if you have some some kind of pill you're going to give to an old guy to make him uh, more vibrant, you should give it to the most prolific old guy imaginable to get more bang for your buck. And that's Acapinti to me. How come they can make dick pills, but they can't make brain pills for old guys? <laughs> Trying to make an argument doesn't make sense. If you're like 90 years old... How hard would you have to find, like, how hard would you have to try to find a plastic surgeon who's willing to, like, give you, like, the works, you know? Like, would most of them be scrupulous enough to be like, it's not worth it? Or I got to imagine there's an unscrupulous enough plastic surgeon who will try to make you look like 30 when you're 90. Do they have you sign a waiver? Like, can you just say, fuck me up? Because I I feel like if (laughs) you're 90, like, there's probably, like, an 80% chance you'll die on the operating table. So, yeah, it's it's basically a form of euthanasia at that point, so that does raise some questions. I guess, yeah, that's what Joan Rivers did, basically. You just keep getting put under anesthesia, and eventually yeah, it's probably going to kill you surgery. if you're, like, 85. Yeah. But I assume they have that you sign a, a form that, like, your family's not going to sue if you die because you're 90, you're having voluntary surgery. Yeah, that could be a type of, like, palliative care for someone who's that obsessed with plastic surgery, too. I think hospice nurses, they should do plastic surgery as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Home surgery. Like on your feet or something. (laughs) Like if you want fewer toes. And there needs to be a charity that does this for people who can't afford it so we can make sure Acapinti gets to look good too while he's working prolifically on his his next era of songs. Yeah. On those Biden pills. I'm going to put a bag clip on the back of his neck. Like Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to be looking fresh. I'm going to rub him down with lotion. We're going to put him on stage. He's going to be sweating bullets. We're going to put him on uh, Jimmy Kimmel, have him do a song and dance. And uh, if he crashes right after as the medicine runs out, so be it. I mean, Acapinti does deserve to go on Kimmel more than almost anyone. Like, I would absolutely watch that. Yeah. More than Weezer, certainly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Weezer, they have not done a song about Ashley Babbitt, unfortunately, but they did drop their autumn EP this week. The new Even though we talked about these fucking guys enough. 
now they like once we just like maxed out on how much we could talk about this band they had to drop the next ep immediately you know yeah right after we finished ranking all their albums they have to come out with a new one and uh you know we threw this one on and at first i was gonna be like this is by far the most normal and non-objectionable one yet in the series and i think that's true basically um but it really takes a, a hard turn it's seven tracks long and on the sixth track it's just two solid minutes of just like a string section doing the most famous part of Vivaldi, Vivaldi's Winter. And it's the fall EP. It's basically which, a like, sample. Yeah, it's it's basically them just playing straight through a bunch of the song for a, a big portion of it. But it's like, it's not only is it the laziest one that uses the Vivaldi motifs. I mean, I'm sure they know what they're doing where they're trying to intentionally uh, do something wacky by doing the winter motif on the autumn ep i think they're trying to like get people mad right so it's like if we act like that's insane then we're giving them what they want is my feeling but it's kind of insane yeah it's like uh it's like a snowstorm in late november the most fucked up thing you could possibly imagine or when does winter (laughs) start is it december 21st yeah the solstice so yeah it'd be like a snowstorm in on december 19th wouldn't that be twisted? That would be fucked up. That would be ironic. It would be really, it would be Shakespeareanly ironic, worthy of the bard himself. I think I would give this a four. And the other two, I think I gave one. Yeah, that's probably fair. I don't remember right now. But I think you're right. This one is more of like a four or five type of thing than a one or a two. So it's definitely better than the last couple. What do do we want to run a score on this right now? Should we find out? Yeah, let's find out. I think Should She Stay or Should She Go is a pretty good song. Even though it's like... It's so cornball. It, it's but annoyingly referential. It's like it's a doo-wop kind of uh, Motown song. It, that also kind of... It almost sounds like a guitar sample of uh, Every Breath You Take by The Police. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great song. Yeah, and it's it's tempting to get mad at it, but I guess like Phil Collins and so many people late in their careers made like silly doo-wop songs in the eighties. And are you gonna get mad at those? You even have to put are like you Paul get McCartney mad at Billy in that context. Joel? Like think about Paul McCartney, the shitty ass songs he was making on like the white album that sound like they're from the fifties, you know? It's kind of the same trajectory there where he just leaned into like really vaudevillian like crap yeah it's normal corny yeah so okay we were saying this is probably like somewhere around a four i'm gonna roll the score here 8.8 okay oh okay i guess it's great oh wow maybe the ai thought that um it thought that uh the sixth track is an actual vivaldi track and that boosted the score up yeah it doesn't know it can't recognize a sample so if it hears a sample, it thinks it's the actual song. Yeah, even though it's objectively correct every time. I'm even though it's skeptical. a supercomputer. Yeah. And it can it can qualitatively assess music. So the way that Weezer described this EP is that uh, its sound reflects dance rock artists such as Franz Ferdinand and The Strokes. 
The album's thematic and aesthetic location is described as being set in the Mountain of Beatitudes, with its associated era being Passion and the Last Supper, along with the Salem Witch Trials. That's just completely not true. Yes, yeah, insane. The, like the word witch comes up one time on one song, and the lyrics are The people dr- down in the street are packing up as if they found a neighbor doing witchcraft. There isn't anybody I can trust, so I'm alone dancing to a click track. It really sucks that they keep asking them. Maybe it's not the journalist's fault, but someone keeps asking them, like, what's what's this album about? What's the theme of this EP? And it's in the title. It's the, the seasons. Doesn't that explain it? Like, I don't know why they have to keep, like, there have to be all these, like, uh, additional symbols associated with this for some reason when it's just it's autumn it's the autumn ep yeah <laughs> like you know this, at first this i was gonna say place um, in uh, 1557 yeah no it doesn't shut up it's just six I, at first r- i was gonna assume that songs. maybe they put this stuff um in a press release in order to just get people to write about it but you're actually right that they were asked about this because it actually comes from an interview at guitarworld.com so that's who's asking these lazy questions it's not a guitar world anymore yeah. It's the computer enclave. Now. Yeah. Besiegedguitaronclave.com. Besiegedguitaronclave. Enclave. That's a great word to say if you're a forum guy and you have the forum accent. I'm retreating <laughs> to the enclave. So, okay. Basically, Rivers said it sounds like Franz Ferdinand and the Strokes. Franz There's Ferdinand song that has a sort of uh, dance beat to it. Yeah, like just like simple stuff in the drumming, I guess. But it's like the Strokes thing is definitely there, but the Strokes influence is there in the same way that Van Weezer has a Van Halen influence where they'll do 15 seconds of a Strokes riff and then they just hit those big Weezer guitars once again. (laughs) Yeah. And it's things that are like just part of the musical language of 21st century pop music, like doing a lot of hi-hats or snares or whatever. That you can't yeah. really... Or like the Strokes thing of just constant eighth notes on guitar. It's not like the most distinctive thing ever. Yeah, that's just like one of the many things you can do. I don't know why it has to be like the Strokes. It's like when bands yeah. are like, they stress that they're influenced by Joy Division or the Beatles or whoever. Like, yeah. yeah like that's every like, post-punk band is influenced by Joy Division. That's just, Every yeah. pop band's influenced by the Beatles. That's in everything. Yeah. Yeah, it is so funny. Like, they're just, I think... You know, the thing about uh, journalists letting him say this stuff is they're letting him get away with it. It's what he wants to do is say that there's like 10,000 different things found in this shitty EP. (laughs) You know, like they're just setting him up for a home run and just letting him hit the home run. Yeah. But yeah, he was trying to rip you off here, you know, Salem Witch Trials, all this kind of historical stuff coming up in there. Yeah, and he didn't deliver on it. Yeah, he didn't even try. He's all bark and no bite. But it is better than the other uh, two. Yeah, it's true. I think objectively it's better than the others. If if you're into any kind of like rock music, this one's the least offensive, you know? But like that I'm looking back at that song that mentions witchcraft one time. And then by the time it gets to the hook, it's just I get off on the pain, I get off on the pain. I try to make it better one candle in the rain. Yeah, like Witchy Woman by the Eagles has a better claim on being about yeah. that. <laughs> or like any Stevie Nicks song. Yeah, totally. I can't wait for winter. What are they going to do, though? They already used the best motif from Vivaldi's Winter. They're going to have to use one from the autumn. They should do spring again. It's an early spring. Yeah. Oh, they should do one that just mashes up all of the most famous parts from the seasons. Yeah. 
The conclusion. You got to restate the thesis. They should do a doom metal version of the Shakespeare Makes Me Happy song. They are going to have to end it with that, right? Yeah, come full circle. It'll be really profound because the seasons always go in a circle. It's crazy, dude. It'll be like Sgt. Pepper's where there isn't actually a theme to it and it, there's no narrative through it. But the first <laughs> song and call. the last song are like, hey, it's Sgt. Pepper's. That's We're exactly here with right, dude. Pepper's. Yeah. It's going to be I'm like glad, I, I can't believe we didn't think of that sooner, that like the looseness of the concept uh, mirrors that pretty well. It's really hard to make a concept album that's like where you stick to the concept. That's why no one has really ever done it. Yeah. I mean, that's why Dark Side of the Moon is one of those albums that I'll always think is exactly correctly rated as a classic where they managed to come as close as you can get without being cheesy by just calling all your songs like Time, Money, really straightforward concepts, they feel like they gel together without having to like tell a narrative story. Yeah. But then the that's wall true. is so cheesy because it's trying to tell a narrative and there's just so many cornball things in the wall. Yeah. Dark side of the moon is, yeah, that's the best structure for that because you can just talk about time. There are a million things to yeah. say about time and money exactly. and birth and death and stuff. I think Green Day is the worst at that with American Idiot and 21st Century Breakdown. Yeah. Where they twice in a row they tried to make the same rock opera about like two American teenagers running away or something. And it's really just not worth it. I just actually don't for some care. reason had a Green Day kick this week where I listened to like Insomniac and Nimrod and stuff. Their whole thing is kind of just like basically downhill, like a kind of a typical trajectory of I think Dookie's like a top to bottom classic. Insomniac's good, Nimrod's okay, and then each one successively is just worse and worse, you know? Yeah, I think American Idiot has some great moments on it, and it's good as kitsch. Like, uh... Yeah, yeah. 2004, I think. I think it was after the election, right? I think so. I feel like it came out... It came came out after the election. Um, And then 21st Century Breakdown had a couple decent hooks... But it was insanely corny. It's funny, too. Like, I never even think about this because Green Day is not... Like, Weezer's kind of like an interesting curiosity, but Green Day is just boring bad these days. Uh, but I forget, too, that they had a really... A trio of gimmick albums called Uno, Dos, and Trace that oh, are yeah. just complete filler top to bottom. And it was a joke on the drummer's name. Yeah. The oh, yeah. Was, no, you're right. Uno, Dos, and, and Trey. Thing. It wasn't Trace. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing was a joke on the, <laughs> the drummer's name. climax thing. is a pun, yeah. Oh, that's so funny, guys. That's awesome. That's something that Kiss did back in the 80s or the late 70s, where all four of them made their own EP. And, and speaking I think of Pink the Floyd, Paul they Stanley did one. Did they? Yeah, uh, the album Umagumma is each of them doing stuff on their own. But the funniest part was that the drummer had to do his part on his own too, and he can't play anything but drums. So it's like 10 minutes of just different drum solos. For the that mo- well, for the most part, there's some overdubs, but yeah, that album's so goofy. You could probably trick a drummer into learning how to play like xylophone and then piano. Like one of the drummers yeah. that has a million <laughs> drums but doesn't play another instrument. Yeah. Like you just set up like a gradually set up a xylophone in front of him and, and until he's playing chords and stuff. Yeah, that's like the intermediary step. That's a good idea. It is so funny when a drummer insists on having pitched percussion like 24 different toms or something. Yeah. Like some Neil Pert type shit. Yeah, you're honestly just punishing the drum tech at that point. Yeah. And you're going in the direction of something like stomp, I guess. Like why don't you just have a garbage can out there and some bunch of goofy crap? 
Yeah, more bands should bang on a garbage can. Everyone got mad at Lars Ulrich for banging on a garbage can in St. Anger. They put him in prison for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe it was never a snare to begin with. Wasn't he, isn't he playing a uh, trash can lid in the video? Oh, okay. Maybe so. I just thought you were, you were doing a commentary on uh, how the snare sounds on that album. It does sound like it, but I think he also used a trash can lid. I don't know if I'm uh, making this up. I honestly have no idea. Okay, I'm on the Wikipedia for the Weezer uh, Autumn EP, and the only review it's gotten yet is an 8 out of 10 from Riff Magazine. So I guess the 8.8 .8 score was uh, objectively right, you know? Well, they only count the riffs. It could yeah, have like, the true. worst they're drumming in the world. And yeah, they're not reviewing the lyrics or the, co or like the actual rhythm guitar, rhythm section. Just the riffs. Just the riffs. That's what counts. That's kind of a novel idea for a review site. I don't think anyone's ever done that, of like reviewing just the drums or something on every album. Yeah. Some people think about music that way. Like, what, you really could make that interesting, guitar to be honest. But yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's like kind of a jerk-off exercise because the point of any song is that all the parts matter. <laughs> but, I mean, you could you could do... If you're a good writer, you could pull that off. Okay, I checked, and I think I was imagining Lara's banging <laughs> on a trash can lid. <laughs> What's he actually doing? It's just a snare with, like, the snare turned off. Yeah, you That's definitely... That's what he played uh, on that album, but, yeah, the uh, it, it sounds like a trash can. <laughs> So weird. You just allowed that to be like slowly mutated in your mind. Yeah. It just became true for me. That album is probably about as bad as all the other late career Metallica albums. I don't know why everyone was so mad at that one specifically. It's just a different way of them fucking up their production. Usually they fuck it up by just slamming the master to the wall so it just sounds like shit. But for that one, they actually tracked it poorly and mixed it poorly too, you know? Yeah. And they had the documentary. And it yeah. was after the Napster thing, so people were primed yeah, to get Yeah, I think they were them. asking for it for a lot of reasons. But I don't know if it's that much worse than Load and Reload. And then Death Magnetic, that was the one that sounded so bad, people had to get the rip from Guitar Hero in yeah, Torrent exactly. to, to listen to it, because they just slammed just, it through a brick wall limiter for no reason. Yeah, way too aggressive. Like, I actually, uh, I was watching videos about like mastering limiting not that long ago, and of course, that was the example used as like what not to do. It's just like such a classic legendary example of pushing everything as far as you can push it. Yeah, there's no reason to do it anymore. Like streaming's kind of cut down on it because it normalizes yeah. volume to some extent. And that's that's by far radio the biggest thing does too. Actually, to the credit of this Weezer Autumn EP, I was thinking about that listening to it, that uh, it has so much room to breathe in the way it's mastered, like the drums like aren't just smashed to the wall in your face. Like it is actually a good example of how mastering is getting better in the 2020s. Um, so it's got that going for it at least. It's got crisp fall air in the production. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the leaves crunching beneath your feet, betwixt your toes. But you're right. Like when it comes to like mastering stuff nowadays, there's this uh, website called loudnesspenalty.com, I think where it'll tell you what, if you just, like put in a wave in there, it'll analyze it and then just tell you how much it's going to be compressed on each different streaming site. And it's like, you know, you just want to compress it a little bit more than that. So it's, so, you know, you want it to do a little bit of compression there, but not much. And as long as you're at like the level that they want it at, then you're going to be fine basically. Yeah. 
the incentive's not really there anymore. But for a exactly, while, like yeah. I think Black Sabbath 13 was probably the last album that sounded that bad. Yeah. They and it's like you and me talked about like a few weeks no back reason. that like I think that like old guys are still compressing their shit harder than younger. Like they're just like stuck in that mindset or something. Like I don't know why you're still making yeah. an album that sounds like that. Probably the last time they got updated on the stuff was like 2006. And no one really yeah. wants to explain it to them. They're probably working the guy, with the old um, producers too. The guy who does the fab filter like tutorials for that company on YouTube, I think is really, really good. Um, and he made a really great argument that I'm compelled by that basically every physical media now is a niche media and you can master to any volume you want on a CD now, for instance, of like, it should be assumed that if someone's buying a CD or a vinyl, that they care enough about the music to turn it up if it's quiet anyway. It's not like competing on the radio or whatever, you know? So essentially, it doesn't matter how loud you master for physical media as long as you make it sound good. So because streaming's the only thing where it really matters versus other songs, you may as well just master loud enough to sound good on streaming, but not push it insanely far. And then if you export everything at that volume, it's going to be fine. Like, if the song doesn't suck, people will just turn it up, right? If someone's buying vinyl, they're a nerd. <laughs> like, all physical media are basically, like, nerd things now. They would probably turn it down. That's the type of person yeah, that right. buys music and wants to turn it down. Yeah, music nerds hate loud music. Audiophiles just love turning the volume down. They hate it. That's making me think about when Dan told us about when he got... Uh, the free tickets to the Sufjan show and he just walked in in the middle of it and everyone's like fucking sitting on the ground dead silent. That's like a certain type of music appreciation. <laughs> just yeah. like not doing anything. Tom told a story about that the other day about how he was at like a Phoebe Bridger show or something and he was in the back. Oh, I, I remember, I've, uh, you, should, you should tell this because I only remember a little bit of it from a DM, but it wasn't Phoebe Bridgers, but like a sound-alike artist. Yeah, it was something like that, and he uh, he was talking at a normal volume at the bar in the back, and then someone came up to him and said he has to leave because he's being too loud. God. <laughs> like, that's, I don't think I've ever uh, been to a show that quiet. I guess it kind of sounds nice, but it would suck to get yelled at, and everyone can I mean, hear you, certain... and it's embarrassing, and you know they're all going to write some sort of blog post about it on Brooklyn yeah. Vegan. <laughs> Ugh. It's also insanely funny to tell him to leave immediately instead of just saying, like, can you be quieter? Yeah. Zero tolerance. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of quiet shows, and it's like there's certain metal shows for, like, Doom or something, like, really slow and loud where between songs, the audi I've seen audiences that are just, like, you could hear a pin drop, but it's because of, like, the dynamic of the performance that, like, those kind of metal fans, like, just have a weird, like... You can probably literally hear a pin drop, like falling off someone's jacket. Yeah, literally a pin, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's plenty what of you would hear yeah. hitting the ground. <laughs> that's what it would be. But yeah, I don't know. Those type of metal fans have some kind of reverence for just like allowing the quiet moments to be quiet and the loud ones to be very loud. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's good. They're not being like dickheads to anyone, though. That's the thing. I would rather go to the stadium tour. That's right. The highest grossing tour in world history. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, in the highest in the history of either band's career, uh, yeah, the Motley Crue and Def Leppard tour in 2022 that like 
I don't know. Probably your aunt went to. If you're listening, ask your aunt if she went to this. It was the one where uh, Tommy Lee exposed his penis and talked about his OnlyFans. We talked about it last week. Um, and uh, Yeah, I'm going to disingenuously say that by making the most money of the band's career, that means they're more popular than ever, not just that their elderly fans are paying more than ever. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if they're making the most money, then who cares? And also, we go to our old favorite uh, website, Metalhead Zone here. There's a lot of buzz about how good the stadium tour was coming from people who participated in it. Ricky Rocket says Poison proved Rock is not dead during Motley Crue tour. But Ricky Rocket is just Poison's drummer. So he's just a member of the band getting on Facebook to say that their performance proved that Rock is not dead. Yeah, they're proving that they're not dead. Like <laughs> yeah, that's, we need that's to see them to know claim. that they're not dead. Yeah. And they proved that they're not dead. I am not dead. Stop saying I'm dead. All right, from Metalhead Zone here. As it is known, Gene Simmons's Rock is Dead statement has caused endless debates in the rock world. Has it? It seems pretty self-evident that Rock's basically dead. Come on. The Turkish people who write this website are so lost in this world of I do aging love rock stars like replying to each other on Twitter with emojis. Like It's such yeah. thin gruel to write about it's like <laughs> nothing like these completely irrelevant figures like vince neal says so and so about ozzy osbourne ricky rocket says so and so about uh sebastian bach yeah like, exactly they just it's this like group of probably four turkish people that write about this stuff all day long and yeah, i don't I know it. who even like it's this certain art of um i guess it's kind of like a buzzfeed era thing really of you find one tweet or one Facebook post and you write six or seven paragraphs about it, just really stretching it out. But Metalhead Zone is just so good because like they're all their English is like surprisingly good, but it's just weird enough to be like very quirky to read, you know? It's just a delight to go through. Yeah. It's a Turkish delight. They love Nikki Six. That that article goes on. In his post overflowing with excitement, Ricky stated that their performance on stage proved that rock and roll is still alive. He noted that rock and roll was initially criticized by jazz players who claimed that rock musicians were incompetent, even though they didn't know what good rock and roll was. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? They're always talking about the state of rock. There should be a big meter on this website about where rock is, depending on like what Ted Nugent has tweeted recently or D Snyder. Yeah. And it's like rock is uh, at the top. Rock is dead. Rock is dying. Metalhead Zone does a, a State of the Union every once in a while. The state of rock is strong. Yeah, there should be a speech at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Istanbul. Do they have one of those yet? Because I know several people who would go to the opening day. And Kansu Koban Kobanolu can, uh, can do it. Metalhead Zone's very own. There was something funny on Nikki Six's Twitter that I noticed where he, re he retweeted this woman saying... We decided to base our Vegas wedding off the Motley Crue residency in 2024. We need dates. And then Mo and then uh, Nikki Six quote tweeted it and said, Well, funny thing is, the press as usual never did their due diligence. There are no Vegas residences planned at this time. Gotta love media clickbait. As far as getting married, congratulations. 
And then she quoted, tweeted that and said, oh my God, I didn't think I would get a real response. Sad news, but Nikki fucking six congratulated me for getting married. So they just booked the wedding on a random day <laughs> in 2024, thinking that like, I guess that they would be there year round that any day. Yeah, that's what's funny. You could like the whole year of 2024, they are going to have a residency. And it's apparently because Vince Neal gave an interview where, where he said they were considering doing a, offers to do a residency in Vegas in 2024. And I think Nikki Six is mad at him. Because yeah, it's just interband drama that. of like, yeah, Vince Neal's just telling magazines about shows they haven't actually booked yet. <laughs> And then some woman's just booking her wedding around this show, assuming that the random weekend she's chosen, she can somehow see them in Vegas. Yeah, they're just going to perform. Like, I mean, I don't know how long a Vegas residency usually is, but I also wouldn't just assume that one random weekend is going to definitely work. I think it should be permanent. It should be like getting tenure. Mm -hmm. If you have a Vegas residency. No, it should be like a, a Supreme Court appointment, basically. I think Britney Spears... She should not be locked in her father's contract, but she should be locked in a contract to play in Las Vegas forever. Yeah, exactly. Until the it's day a she dies. Appointment. It's a lifetime appointment. They've got all those pyramids and stuff. It's all about longevity. It's all about uh, the, the eternal beauty of uh, classical art. That's what Vegas is about. That's right. Yeah, Vegas is not about ephemerality at all. It's so when you hit a jackpot, that's forever. You just got like a million bucks. Yeah, that'll, that'll last, last forever. forever, especially if you start gambling right away. I can't believe someone would plan their wedding around that. I guess I can. Like, I've seen that video of the people dancing down the aisle to Crazy Bitch. And then there's the guy in the <laughs> audience covering his son's ears. Those people are such like posers, though. If they're not doing like the 15 minute long live version of Crazy Bitch that we listened to a few years ago. The yeah. album version just can't compare. Yeah, honestly. Buckstock 99, where he talks about <laughs> like uh, the meaning of life and what love and sex are, just really breaks it down. And that was uh, Motley Crue, too. Yeah. That was at the Crue Fest. Yeah, they were opening for them. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, someone wants to go see Motley Crue, like someone who's, it looks like a young-ish woman, like maybe in her 20s. So, Wait, good call. I didn't even think about that angle of it. That's insane to be like that age and want to plan your wedding around Motley Crue in yeah. 2024. It would maybe make sense if you were like a leathery skinned old person and you were on your sixth marriage and you were just like, we, we want to have a good time. We're nasty motorcycle people. But to be a okay. young person who's like sort of a normie and want to go to that. Now I'm on this woman's feed. And then plan and it preemptively. Her, the last two posts of hers are those ones with Nikki Six. The one right before that is her retweeting Garth Brooks. That is a crazy taste in music to have. Probably a yeah. lot of Americans have a taste in music like that, though. Like they like. Oh wait, and then right before Dr. that, she's retweeting good. They like uh, Garth the Brooks. Kiss guitarist. They like Kiss. It's all music stuff, but it's all just a weird assortment of like legacy acts. Oh, and yeah. then one thing about the the Cleveland Browns. And Nikki Six was fighting with a fan on Twitter too, who said that. Or I guess not a fan. Uh, a guy in oh, another no, this band was... called Phil Oh, yeah, Susan. we got to cover this drama. <laughs> Who the fuck yeah, is okay, This Susan. is the front page. Exactly. <laughs> this is the front page drama on Metalhead Zone right now. There's multiple articles about this 
dust up. So I think we we are obligated to cover this on here and fill everybody in. Everybody's dying to know about this. This is like- Phil Susan regrets his bad show comments about Motley Crue. Last in line bassist Phil Susan recently joined Artists on Record hosted by Stefan Adika for an interview and apologized to Motley Crue for his negative words about the stadium tour. As you may know, Motley Crue wrapped up their stadium tour with a final show at the Allegiant Stadium of Los Angeles on September 9th, 2022. In addition to fans who had been waiting for the tour for a long time, the band also had prominent musicians coming to see them live, including Phil Susan. However, in bold, he wasn't satisfied with Motley Crue's performance. Ah, uh, we queered the deal with Susan. It's yeah. like waiting for Guffman, but it's Phil Susan. And he finally gets there. And then he hates the show. He pans it. And they're ruined. They'll never have another, yep. another stadium tour without we'll the Susan boost. will never play in boost. this town of L.A. again. But uh, the musician wrote on his social media accounts that Crew didn't have much to offer to the audience and said they didn't meet his expectations. That doesn't sound very harsh. The Maybe. band's bassist, Nikki Six, in bold, was slightly offended by this negative comment. Six simply thanked Susan with a middle finger emoji. When asked about what happened afterward, Phil Susan recently said that he made a comment without thinking. Wow, he got cyberbullied into retracting his statement about Motley Crue. Yeah, fuck his band Last in Line that I never heard of until now. Yeah, Last in Line is right. Everybody's first in line for the Motley Crue Def Leppard show. They're last in line for yours, Phil Susan. Right. Fuck you, Phil. Never step to the king. Don't you come for Nikki. You're you're gonna get the middle finger emoji. <laughs> And you're Whenever anyone else on the planet says, uh, anyone else on the planet saying, don't you come for Nikki, they're referring to Nikki Minaj. But with you and me, we're referring to Nikki Six. Yeah. I'm on NikkiSwift.com, but it's N I K K I, NikkiSwift.com. Yeah. And it's all this same celebrity news about 61 year old, uh, like session musicians <laughs> having stupid fights on Twitter. <laughs> So that, let's, let's see where he walks it back here, though. In his recent conversation, he admitted that it was actually a great show, but the sound was not good in the area he was during the gig. He then noted that he contacted Nikki Six privately to say he was sorry, and he didn't mean to imply anything bad. Susan didn't think it was a bad show. He just believes it bold could have been better. <laughs> However, the bassist expressed how angry he is at himself for saying such a reckless thing. He accepted his mistake in his recent conversation and bold publicly apologized to Nikki Six and the remaining Motley Crue members for his adverse comments about the show. It's crazy that these guys used to just kill each other drunk driving or like offer each other Now they're apologizing for tweets. Like there's a scene in the Motley Crue movie that's based on uh, Nikki Six's memoir that where he gives Vince Neil heroin, uh, like a line of heroin under the impression that it's cocaine. Like, uh, Vince Neil thinks it's cocaine. And he's like, fuck. Yeah. Oh, oh. So that like, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's really good that he like, mellowed out they, into like Twitter shit beef. out in private. It's fucked up. I think they should be doing ne- like, they should be killing each other in drunk driving accidents. They should be like, uh, having fist fights on the RV. That's true. Maybe they need to be like arguing over where to 60 bury sixty year old guy violent, you know. You know all the stuff they like were doing. They should in be the like 80s. slapping each other. Or they should be playing that game with the knife where you put the knife in between each of your fingers and keep stabbing it around. 
things that are kind of like dangerous, but they're not too like high activity. Yeah. And at that age, you don't have much feeling in your extremities. So it doesn't really matter if you stab your finger. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. So that was only one article about this dust up. The next day they published this one. Steve Stevens slams Phil Susan over his comments about oh, Nikki no, Six and not Motley Steve Crue. Stevens. Oh, he's going to slam him. In his recent tweets, Steve Stevens reacted to Phil Susan's apology for his comments about N- Nikki Six and Motley Crue after attending the stadium tour as a spectator. After going to Motley Crue's 9th of September concert with Def Leppard, Joan Jett, uh, and Joan Jett, blah, 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 Susan shared some photos on his social media and wrote a comment under the post. While praising the other musicians' shows, he stated that he was bold, not satisfied with the performance of Motley Crue. After seeing Susan's post, Nikki Six responded saying, Thanks, Phil, adding a middle finger emoji at the end of his sentence. Susan revealed in a previous interview that the sound was not good at the show, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Recently, Steve Stevens shared his view about the issue, citing the news that Susan apologized and stated that the rocker used to have this type of behavior, and it still has not changed according to him. He also expressed his respect toward Nikki Six responding to Stuart Cowell's tweet. All right. Is that Simon Cowell's son or father? Probably, probably his father. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of these guys sound as good as they think they do. Like, oh, absolutely not. You can't really ask much of Motley Crue at the age they're at. Like seeing Vince Neil, like yeah, if he you've was seen always Vince a bad Neil singer. Perform in the last, like, he, yeah, he he's not suited to an arena rock band. This is what you were saying before we started that uh, Nikki Six looks like Eric Wareheim in a costume. <laughs> he really does. Look up pictures. And Vince of Nikki Neil's Six. basically like uh, uh, Tim Heidecker, like doing a bit singing, you know. Yeah. Like Vince Neil's voice is like, even though he gained like a bunch of weight, his voice is like really thin and like just barely cuts through, you know? It's just like such an awkward combination of like aging not gracefully. Yeah. He looks like he's about to pop. Like he's doing the thing from Willy Wonka with the grape, but it's red. Yeah. <laughs> like a big red cranberry about to pop. And I get high, I get high on steel. <laughs> he just sounds like that and it stinks. Dude, I can't believe that Steve Stevens reacted to Phil Susan's apology for his comments about Nikki Six. So that shit is crazy. And you know you're not going to see that on Pitchfork. You're not going to see that on any of the big websites except uh, right here and on Metalhead Zone, honestly. No one else is really following the news. It is honestly so weird to do that. Like, Steve Stevens was in Vince Neil's band from 1992 to 1994. <laughs> oh, wow, the Vince Neil band didn't last too long? That's weird. It's so cool that that guy gets an article on this site. Like, every niche subculture needs its website like this, where Turkish guys write about the most minute Twitter drama. It is so weird that these guys are saying shit like that. Because who cares? Like, are they trying to compete with them? Do they have a rival band? And they think, like, they're... Like, you don't have a band that's performing in stadiums. Like, why do you care if the sound is good there? Why would you say that as a 63-year-old, like, kind of famous session musician from the 80s? He's got to give the real dirt. The thing is, he's just posting and he doesn't care, honestly. I think literally he's just posting, like, oh, this show kind of sucks. It might just be that. It might just be that they're, like, David Crosby type of guys. I think that's it. That's, like, the most likely explanation to me. The fact that it gets a write-up at all is just because the Metalhead Zone guys somehow deem it, like, newsworthy. But Is there a Folkhead Zone where they talk about David Crosby? David oh, Crosby man, under be. fire for 
reviewing pre-roll joint. <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, the era when BuzzFeed used to do like Derek's 20 funniest posts, you know? We, st- we need something like that. We need like a metalhead zone for our corner of Twitter where it's always just like, oh, Tom Rylan is mad at CJ again. Yeah, we need a drama alert. We need a Keemstar. CJ said wust to Rylan and it made him upset. John and Rylan are fighting about the ducks again. Yeah. <laughs> Butchie the rapist duck has passed away. I hate Butchie. Eight. I hate Butchie. Well, he is, he is dead. So Cooking he with Jack he... cooked and ate him. <laughs> That's right. He undercooked him and he got sick. That's what happened to Butchie. <laughs> Rotten hell. That's the fate that Butchie deserves and that Jack deserves, to be honest. Yeah. He's given himself salmonella from his own cooking four times. God damn. It's insane that it hasn't happened more, though. Like, he should get sick every time he cooks. I think there's a cool down on the debuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So there's like uh, like two weeks that you can't get it. I, I think he's like my favorite of those guys you watch, though, where uh, like Freddy, I can't stand. Oh, he's awful. Um, he's like, it's like an endurance test listening to him yeah. speak. But Jack, I love every single one because he's just such a piece of shit in the right way. Where like you hate him, but you still want to get through the video because you never know how many insane things he's going to do that could kill him at any moment, you know? Yeah. Lately, like a suspense to his videos. Lately, he's just into freeze drying food for some reason. He bought a $3,000 freeze dryer and he's freeze drying like coleslaw and pasta and pizza. <laughs> and he's like, God damn, you, can, you can uh, preserve this for 30 years. Like he, do you have thirty <laughs> years, right. man? I don't know. Oh, he definitely does not. It's just, why would you want to freeze dry coleslaw for thirty years? Yeah, there's just no reason to do it. Like at the point where you need to resort to eating that, everything else is already gone. Like the lights are yeah, out. You're gonna be dead either way. Your windows right? are broken. They've yeah. they've come for you. You've been eaten by rogue pit bulls. Like. You're not going to be in your house with like the electricity on for 20 years. And then you're like, all right, well, I might as well open up that coleslaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. The whole like survival mindset is so stupid of like, are you really trying to last a week and a half longer than everyone else? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Like if, if, if society if society's completely fucked, then there's no point in preparing basically at all. You're going to have two more good weeks and then you're just in the same boat as everyone. Yeah. The only way it really makes sense is if you have a compound with a bunch of people. Because having a house with a bunch of shit in it doesn't really help. Because someone's just going to break in and take it. Yeah. And if you have a compound with a ton of people, I guess you could try to train everyone on some kind of imagined agrarian lifestyle. But also, you don't know what climate change is going to do in 15, 20 years. Like you just don't know the conditions that an apocalyptic scenario would happen under. It's just such a stupid thing to plan for. People have to harvest sandworms, stuff like that. Yeah. I think my my strategy for any kind of like survivalist scenario is I'm just going to develop a taste for human flesh now so that once other people just start dropping dead left and right, I'll just have plenty of meat to eat that no one else wants. I've been chewing my toenails to try to acclimate myself to the taste of human flesh. Yeah, see, that's smart. You start with the nail, then you move on to the toe. Plus, I don't get them ripped off by the couch cushions as much. <laughs> I'm, I always have to peel them out of the fabric. <laughs> They're all stuck in there like a... Your whole toe stuck in the couch. You get up from the couch and the whole cushion comes clean off. Yeah. 
dragging behind you. <laughs> it's like when Homer Simpson is stuck on the coffee table in the episode where he moves into the treehouse and he's just dragging the coffee table behind him as he walks. That's what I do. I get him stuck on there. That's why I have to bite him. If anyone thinks that we read all the recent Motley Crue news on Metalhead Zone, that person's a fucking stupid idiot. I swear if Phil Susan comes up again. That, Dude, oh fuck Phil Susan, man. I'm so pissed at him right now. All the shit he said about Nikki Six and my boys. So actually, this article is posted the day before the Phil Susan drama blew up, which means there was three articles three days in a row about Nikki Six and Motley Crue. Unbelievable. He's so cool. He's such a cool guy. He's always this talking one, about how he was on heroin 40 years ago, like every other rock star. But yeah. he's like always writing books about it and stuff. That's, I guess, yeah. If you had these guys on like late night TV or something, there's really nothing to ask them about from the last 40 years. If you're like Kimmel or whatever, you're like, so you were uh, on heroin 40 years ago. What was that like? Yeah, he's gotten so many media cycles out of it. It's ridiculous. Like he had that whole band and that whole album about it, the 6AM band. He had a tweet about uh, modern rock that was weird in light of that, where he said, death to overproduced, overpro-tooled, overthinking about algorithms and trying to fucking fit in rock music. Bring us something fresh and raw. When he made his solo project in like 2007, it was just generic radio rock. Yeah, it sounded like Buck to the Cherry. Cliche shit, yeah. Plus he's Also complaining about an over-pro-tooled album. Who yeah. cares, man? Pro-tools. What does that even mean to be over-pro-tooled? Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, they're what? They're doing too many cuts? There are too many fades? Yeah, exactly. Like, There's too much what do you game staging? Point? Yeah. It's such an old guy thing to talk about. Fucking auto-tune, man. <laughs> Fucking Pro Tools. It ruined music. Back when we could just get in the studio and make something like Home Sweet Home. And it's also funny to complain about stuff like auto-tune when you're a guy like Vince Neil who basically can't sing anymore. <laughs> or never really could. I mean, he was always one of the worst in that genre. <laughs> Yeah, he should. They should auto tune him. That would sound cool. He yeah, they like should Bob remaster Dylan. their whole discography with auto tune all over it. Actually, I kind of want to do. Look at uh, Motley Crue twenty twenty two. What does this sound like? Oh, like a live clip. Yeah. Actually, while you're looking that up, I've got another article on Metalhead Zone that dovetails perfectly with that too. Uh, David Dryman from Disturbed says he's proud of Vince Neil and his performance during the current Motley Crue tour. I guess we've already talked about um, Motley Crue's live 2022 performances because that's uh, one of the Catatonic Youth videos, I think. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. See, like, like the Motley I wasn't Crue sure if that was like this... Bob Dylan. It, it, that was this year? Wow. Okay. I thought that was from like 2019. Okay. Yeah, me too. Because we've definitely watched footage of their previous tour or like his solo one or whatever, where he just sounds insanely terrible. He looks like a glazed pig. He looks like he should have an <laughs> apple in his mouth. But according to Disturbed's Dave Dryman, uh, who has me blocked on Twitter. Oh no. What'd you do? Uh, I asked him if his songs were about gay sex. It was 2011. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. He. The article on Metalhead Zone says Vince Neil recently performed his the ultimate classics of Motley Crue with his solo band. However, video of him singing Dr. Feelgood was heavily criticized as fans expected Neil to lose weight in preparation for the stadium tour. 
Uh, after the stadium tour kicked off in June, Neil came under fire once again for a video of him using a teleprompter to sing the lyrics of songs that went viral on the internet. You can't That's even hear really what funny. he's saying anyways. <laughs> Why not just fake it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. You sing these songs. Like, they don't have a new album out. They're singing the classics. So you've sang these songs like 7,000 fucking times in your life, dude. I, so I can't believe how bad this is. I have to edit in a, a clip of this. Sure. It's like old news, but it's so funny. And he looks so bad. He just looks like a, a glazed hog. He looks like pure hot ham. Although his band members and other rockers in the industry supported him, the media criticized him for not knowing the words. The One media. of the supporters of the rocker. Yeah, the, the dude, Washington media. Post. <laughs> the New York Times front page. Vince Neil can't remember the words, needs a teleprompter. Matt Taibbi was talking about it on Substack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Disturbs David Dryman was one of the supporters. Dryman tweeted to show his support for Neil in light of all the criticism he's faced recently. He stated that the videos he saw of the tour were great and that he was doing a great job on stage. <laughs> he didn't bother to show up when they came through his city. He just saw a couple clips on YouTube. He's like, yeah, you're doing great, dude. Well, he must not have seen this clip on YouTube because <laughs> yeah. it's really not good. <laughs> and I don't think the issue is that he's fat. Yeah, it's, it's that he can't sing. Yeah, and he doesn't know the words to his songs yeah, that he's saying. He doesn't for 40 know years. the words. They don't have that many words either, man. No, girls, girls, girls is not that hard to remember the words to. It's crazy how many tours there are like this. I guess this is the first time that we've seen like huge arena acts like actively get old and die. Yeah, like uh, like the Rolling Stones are starting to die. Yeah, that's true. Like, the first wave of arena rockers are in their 80s now. Yeah, like Paul McCartney, Billy Joel. Like, all those big tours, there's, like, so much depending on keeping guys like Vince Neil, who just should not be touring anymore, objectively. None of these guys should be. But it's the most profitable yeah. tour they've ever done. It's yeah, like this exactly. perverse incentive to keep going when they're, like... And they I feel it for the crew, though, too. You know, they it's can't like, do it. Yeah, when the you have dependent like on it, they've been doing 60 this for years. or 70 people on your crew to do this thing, and they're all dependent on you. It's like, yeah, you should do the tour, but also you shouldn't because it's bad. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you are like, supporting a lot of people making a living doing something like a job they want to do, but also your band is just way over the hill. But hopefully, they get holograms perfected by the time all these guys die so they can just project them on stage. Or maybe have a lookalike or something because it doesn't really matter at this point. Most of it is backup singers in like pre-recorded tracks. And then they can tracks. just merge all those bands into one, where you get Rolling Stones all the way down to Motley Crue all in one night. They just have a bunch of holograms flashing on and off up there. I think we've talked about that before. The idea of like merging, treating bands like corporations, where there's just a lot of mergers and a lot of consolidation, where we only need a couple bands in each genre. Yeah, it's already starting That's to happen do. where they're doing these package tours. These never-ending package tours with a couple bands like Poison, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, because uh, it actually like people only it, really want to hear like four songs from each of those bands. So why not just have uh, why not have each of them play their four songs? 
like what you're saying is actually way more concentrated in like 90s music from having done uh like when I worked at Groupon I had to do all like the live side of it like I did all the ones that are for like sports things and like concerts and whatever so I have all this arcane knowledge of like shows that are bad enough to need Groupon to sell you know and something we ran all the time on there was these shows of like 90s like two or three hit wonders where it's like you see Salt and Peppa and um, I guess Boys Two Men would be too big for it, but something like Color Me Bad, like all these like B tier '90s acts, they'll put like nine of them on a bill, and each of them perform for like fifteen to twenty minutes. That's that is brutal. out there. Yeah. Hopefully they get paid well. I think they probably get paid better for that than like anything else. Like at the end of the day, it's a good deal for you because you only have to do like three or four songs, and you're getting like a decent amount of money probably. But yeah, it is kind of like a bleak. Um, it's, it's not, not anyone's idea. None of those, in. yeah, none of those fans want to be in that position. But also, they don't want to have to go back to like, you know, being a line cook. So obviously, yeah. you're gonna keep touring. It's like, yeah, you think about. I think about that a lot. About how a lot of people, uh, people just grinding like that in uh, in way like the guys who go to conventions and have to sign shit for people. They sit there for eight yeah. hours, and it's like it's like the uh, the itchy and scratchy fans in The Simpsons, like answering questions from those guys. Yeah, they exactly. do that all day long, and it's like ev- there's this understanding among everyone that you're past your prime, and that you're kind of just a novelty, and that you're like you're the character, you're the character that you were in Battlestar Galactica. Do say the line, do the thing, but they're thinking like. Do I want to fill out a job application? No. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. because it would it would suck. Like what? Do I want to like always... I'm going to do training and I'm going to have like a manager at my work that yeah. yells at me? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I I'd rather sign uh, autographs for $100 at the 90s convention. They actually do those now. Oh, funny. Yeah, that Derek guy that we watch on the Chapo stream, he'd Get, like gets drunk and goes to these different tourist traps and he loves going to 90s conventions where they'll have like uh like someone from step by step and then someone from uh like friends like a bit part on friends and they'll be signing autographs and then people will be selling DVDs and it's in shirts and stuff and it's it's such a, like a thin there's not much there, content-wise. Yeah, it's exactly. just remember this, remember this, remember this. It's that kind of thing is funny. Of like, but like it somehow that's profitable to rent a convention center and just have like T-shirts that say "I I remember the Rugrats," and you can actually get adults to give you enough money that you can pay all the bills for that. It's awesome. Yeah, I'll never understand that mentality. I guess of like, even though like for this show, obviously we spend so much time talking about. 80s bands, 90s bands, etc. But I think it's more from the angle of like as a curiosity rather than like, man, I miss those days. It's not like, man, I miss when like Weezer was uh, making the Blue album or whatever. It's more just like we're like examining a, the curious path that you take 30 years into a career or whatever. Whereas like, I just can't imagine, even though I grew up watching like the Rugrats, if I went to something like that, I can't imagine being like, oh, I really care I want this memorabilia about the Rugrats. Like I don't, I don't have any connection to the past in that way. I guess I don't know. I don't. That's not a very articulate way of putting it. But I just don't feel any like 
meaningful nostalgia for things where I would want to go stand in a line to like get an autograph. Yeah, I went to high school with Tommy Pickles and he was kind of a dick. Yeah. That's like being right. on that TV show kind of gave him an ego at a really young yeah. age. And I don't know. He's just, he's, he's like a really pushy guy. Yeah. He was like an alcoholic by the time he was 15. And then his dad sent him off to like a boarding school after that. Yeah. He came back weird. I think he had like a Christian phase. Honestly, in the late seasons of Rugrats, you can tell already that he's got a uh, vodka in his milk bottle. Yeah. You can see he got tattoos that they were trying to cover up with long sleeves. Yeah. You can see the tattoos. He has like skull and crossbones. They made him wear long diapers too. Yeah. He wore long diapers. It covers your whole legs. And the poop just slides down your legs, but it's okay because there's a diaper there. I hope that he was uh, hiding tattoos under those (laughs) when he was 17. I hope in 30 years there's um, 2020s podcasting conventions where you can come see Matt Christman and. Two of the guys from Chapo FYM, and you can come say hi at the table, and they'll autograph something for you. That would be and awesome. Kind of sad. I'll do it for fifty cents. Not me. I'm gonna do it for. Well, infl- you gotta imagine the rate of inflation. I mean, I'm gonna be doing it for five hundred bucks, and that'll be like a hundred bucks today. You know. I've, this is a joke we've made almost from the very beginning of E1, but uh, the idea of performing a, a legendary episodes in full on a live tour, like performing the Chips episode top to bottom or the Biden episode recreated in full. Using like a teleprompter? $100 a ticket. Yeah, exactly. Just like Vince Neil, our hero. Getting bad media because you use a teleprompter to read off the script from the Chips episode. Yeah. <laughs> but if people hadn't heard it before, they would probably think it was great. Yeah, that's right. If you just did your best episode... If you did that in every every show, every city, like how exactly. many people Around actually listen to the podcast? Like two or three? Yeah. But how many you come to the show? To the like two there. or three hundred? Yeah. They never heard it before, but for some reason they want to pay to come to the live show. Yeah. Same with most bands. Most people don't even know who the band is. They just like being at a concert. Yeah. I don't know who Motley Crue is, but I'll pay a hundred bucks for this. Yeah. Poison, Def Leppard, never heard of them. I'm into jazz, but I just want to go to a concert. I want to take four hours to park my car. And my reaction at the end of the Motley Crue show? Oh, I guess Rock's not dead after all. Yeah. They made a lot of money, so it must be alive. Yeah, I think Ricky was right. Ricky Rocket. Ricky and Nikki. Yeah, fuck that other guy whose name I already forgot. Phil Sasson or something? Yeah, Phil Susano. Yeah, Phil. I hate you, dude. If you listen to the show, I hate you. You are such a bastard for saying what you did about Vince Neil squealing like a, a, a glazed red little piggy. <laughs> Phil Susan is officially in Fortune Kit's doghouse of the week. Yeah. We get a new doghouse every week to put someone in it. He's the wankster of the week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>